0: Combining a social mission with a business is usually easy when both of these are aligned. So, uh, for example, if the business progresses, that means that you can make more impact. This is the ideal situation because they're not in conflict. They actually support each other. In our case, it's the same because we're focused on providing employment. So the more clients we have, the more revenue we generate, the more uh, we can pay in salaries and so on.
1: In a world abound with armed conflicts, Humans in the Loop, a social enterprise established in Bulgaria, works to provide job opportunities for those affected by violence and forced displacement in different countries.
0: I am Eva Gomnishka. I am the founder and CEO of Humans in the Loop.
1: And I'm Rama Shokake, and you're listening to Innovate with Purpose, the official podcast of Expo Live, a program by Expo 2020 Dubai. (sniffs) you <sniffs>
0: We are a social enterprise that provides annotation work to AI companies and at the same time trains and provides employment to conflict-affected people and people who have been displaced. Well, that's unique. Not
1: too many social enterprises work in AI. So let's talk more about how it all works. I know that since you founded Humans in the Loop back in 2017, the scope of your work has changed significantly. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about how you started on this journey?
0: Initially, we were mostly focused on vulnerable people in Bulgaria. And with the geographic scaling, uh, we also had to confront questions such as, which is our target group? Uh, What people are we willing to support through our uh, company? So I think there we have experienced a bit of a shift because originally these were refugees, so people seeking a refuge in another country. But afterwards, when we started working in, in Syria and in Turkey and in Iraq, and Afghanistan as well, and in Lebanon, uh, we found that conflict-affected people makes much more sense because some of these are internally displaced, they're not seeking refuge in uh, another country. And some are actually uh, still living in the areas of armed conflict uh, or areas that have uh, a history of of, uh, violence and unrest. So um, we have decided that it it makes a lot of sense for us to support also these people. because they are actually the ones who might need even more help than the people who are on the move just because they haven't left those places. Um, And the economic opportunities for them are quite scarce and there is a real need to rebuild the local economies. And in the end, you know, it's just uh, a new initiative that might inspire people to seek uh, similar opportunities, come up with similar ideas and so on. So this has been a, a shift that we have uh, been through. And right now we're actually thinking about expanding our geographical scope even more.
1: Wonderful. And, and I imagine it's the kind of universal model that can be replicated in other areas. So Eva, let's talk a little bit about the origins. Uh, take us to the very beginning. What inspired you to start Humans in the Loop and to eventually expand your scope beyond Bulgaria?
0: Mostly it was uh, my sense of discomfort with how my own country, Bulgaria, was handling the situation with newcomers uh, arriving in the country. I really wanted to uh, create an initiative that would provide more opportunities for refugees that were coming into Bulgaria. Um, and provide them with more opportunities for upskilling, for uh, having access to the labor market and so on. So this is how it was originated. But afterwards, it expanded to uh, an entire initiative that provides digital work, not only to people in Bulgaria, but also in Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, Lebanon. We have quite a lot of partners now that we're also supporting. And it's really great because uh, these are local organizations that are working on the ground, and we're helping them through this Partnership, So it has really grown to something that was responding to a very local pro- problem, to a global initiative. Besides
1: providing job opportunities, Humans in the Loop offers a large scheme of services to its beneficiaries, from digital skills training and English courses to a train-the-trainer program and career counseling sessions. All of these services mainly target asylum seekers and people who live in areas affected by violence. But running a business that is based on a social mission can be a challenge.
0: There were definitely um, difficult situations, especially in the beginning, where we were earning some revenue, but it was just about enough in order to cover our fixed expenses and our salaries, and we weren't able to invest in anything new and hiring new people or um, building more tools and, and innovative solutions and actually investing in research and development, for example, something that would distinguish us from our competition and so on. So I would say the main conflict was there because Um, Of course, especially if you're seeking uh, outside investment uh, and equity funding, that means that you will receive money, but you will relinquish part of the control of your organization. Uh, So For me, it was uh, a big question of whether I'm ready to do that in order to have the the fuel needed in order to propel my organization forward and just start uh, scaling it at a much faster pace.
1: Uh, I see. So, I mean, financing is something that every business founder has to grapple with, especially at the beginning. So how do social businesses overcome such difficulties? And why is it always difficult to answer this question? When is it time to scale?
0: When you're a small organization, you have a lot of uh, barriers to your growth. For example, we didn't have funding from the start just because we were very frugal in how we were working. So that made us uh, more cautious and it helped us to focus on the self-sufficiency of the organization because sometimes... You receive a grant, you have to design a budget on how you would spend it. And I remember, you know, in the beginning we were planning, okay, you know, this this amount for rent, this amount for new computers, this amount for desks and so on. Eventually, since we didn't have that money, we had to think on our feet and be creative. And we partnered with a local IT training academy. So they let us use their spaces and their computers and their desks. Um, And it was a much more efficient solution than actually receiving a grant and spending it on all of that, uh, just like upfront expenses.
1: So that sounds like it worked for you. And now that you're expanding your project uh, and progressing, how do you measure its success?
0: The biggest KPI that we're measuring is actually how many people we have provided with employment. And these are easy data annotation projects that people can participate in as a freelancer, working remotely, and they can earn money through that. In addition to that, we're measuring how we're spending our expenses in other areas. For example, 10% always goes to our local partners and NGOs. Another 10% goes to our impact-related activities, such as trainings and upskilling.
1: Eva told us that at least 50% of every project's revenue goes directly to the employees in the form of salaries. This means that salary figures are also used to measure how well the company is doing.
0: Um, Mostly what we're measuring is how many people we have employed to date. But we have recently realized that this is actually misleading just because you might be able to provide 100 people with one project uh, and they could earn some money that they can spend on um, some expenses that they have for their family and so on, but it doesn't really guarantee them stability. Um, So now we're shifting our focus more towards continuous earnings by our workers uh, so that we can know that if we're providing somebody with employment, they can actually rely on an availability of projects, if they are willing and interested in participating in more projects, that we would be able to provide that. So this is the big challenge now, after we have scaled so much in terms of the reach, but now we actually wouldn't mind staying with the current number of people that we have and investing more and generating more long-term opportunities for them.
1: Okay, Eva, one last question as an entrepreneur with a social enterprise what would a better world look like if more social enterprises like yours were valued for their impact
0: i would say definitely a world in which stakeholder capitalism is uh, much more act- much more established and where Businesses are measured not only by, by, through their financial returns, but also their impact on society and the environment. Uh, and even though it's it's still capitalism uh, with all of its folds, I think it, it has the potential to enable more businesses for good that care for their employees, care for other stakeholders and partners, care for the society that they are established in and so on. And definitely more circular economy solutions, more solutions where we are conscious of the energy that we consume, the resources that we consume, and we try to feed back into the system so that it's much more sustainable and and more circular. So I would say this is kind of a vision for the future, but whether it's possible to implement it how, this is a completely different question.
1: It was a pleasure speaking with you, Eva. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Innovate with Purpose is the official podcast of Expo Live, an innovation program by Expo 2020 Dubai. Innovation can come from anywhere to everyone. Learn more by visiting Expo 2020 Dubai.com forward slash Expo Live. Innovate with Purpose is produced by Kerning Cultures Network. Episodes are released every Sunday and Wednesday. Subscribe to Innovate With Purpose on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss an episode. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review.